Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome to the seventh episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I am still your host, Travis May, and if you're joining us for the first time, College to Canton is a show where we talk about everything from college football recruiting to NFL rookies to NFL players currently in the league, all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's about that journey. It's about prospects. We talk about fantasy football, but we get into some real football. And last week, we actually dug deep with Peter Howard into some meaningful metrics that can help us predict the future of what uh, NFL prospects might look like. Uh, This week, my special guest and I will be talking pandemic-proof prospects, or at least ones that we think might be okay if they choose to opt out early, or if the pandemic just has some kind of negative effect on the upcoming season and it is shortened even more so than we think it already might be. Talk about mostly 2021 NFL draft guys, but might take a look into the future even beyond that. And to help me tackle this tough topic, I'm joined by a very special guest, Kyle Francis. You can find him on Twitter at Franchise KF. Uh, he's a co-owner of the Devi Watch, DeviWatch.com, one of my favorite resources for all things NFL prospect analysis. So yeah, thanks for joining me, Kyle. It's, it's been a bit since I've had you on uh, one of my shows, but always value what you bring to the table on the college football side. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thank, thanks so much. This feels somewhat normal to just be able to sit down and talk some football. So that feels, uh, it feels <laughs> good to, to be doing that again. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it, it, it's just we really need some sports back in our lives right now just to get some kind of some kind of normal. Uh, I've been watching some sports I don't usually watch, and uh, that that's great for a little while, but I need some football back. So hopefully we get back to some normal stuff here in the near future. But uh, we talked about some uh, you know meaningful metrics last week, and so we talked about some of the adjusted production index stuff uh, last week, and, and so I wanted to kind of speak into that a little bit more since we talked about what what that means in terms of dominator ratings and and yards per team pass attempt and the touchdowns per team pass attempt and those kinds of numbers. So for this week's FFPC stat attack, the best place to play fantasy football, even though we're, we have this pandemic and we don't, we have missing pieces to production profiles. There's actually still seven true juniors that already have the, the production profile that we like to see in terms of players actually going in day two draft capital or earlier. And those seven wide receivers, those seven true junior wide receivers that already have the minimum thresholds that we want in dominator rating, yards per team pass attempt, touchdowns per team pass attempt, an overall production profile uh, of what we like to see in NFL prospects. We've got Rashad Bateman, we've got Jamar Chase, we've got Elijah Moore, Diami Brown, uh, Seth Williams, and uh, Chris Alave already uh, hitting many thresholds that we want to see there uh, and look to have an adjusted production profile that could get them day two or earlier draft capital. And that is your FFPC stat attack of the week. You can go to myffpc.com, the home of season-long fantasy football. But let's just dive into it, Kyle. Just talk about some of these pandemic-proof prospects. And as I was thinking about it, as we kind of talked about even pre-show, there are not very many prospects that I think are truly pandemic-proof. Like if they opted out today, like we'll get into a couple players that have just opted out this week. Can we really say that their draft capital is safe? Can we really say that their NFL future is safe given what we already know about these players because if they miss another entire season yeah yeah it's great that you you know somebody told you you were going to be a first round pick a year before you're actually even entering into the NFL but is that really the case just today as as we're recording like just a couple hours before we started recording Rondale Moore out of Purdue opted out of the 2020 season and of course earlier this week Rashad Bateman another solid wide receiver 
Minnesota opted out of the 2020 season. There's uh, other names like on the defensive side. You got Caleb Farley, Micah Parsons, Gregory Rousseau, all potential first round NFL draft picks opting out of the 2020 season. I'm in support of anyone making the right decision for their family, for for them personally, for their health, for their future. I'm, I'm always in support of that. But it's also kind of risky, right? So in your opinion, since we're really talking about fantasy football players here, are, are Rondell Moore or Rashad Bateman truly safe in terms of their NFL draft capital and their NFL future today, uh, regardless of you know missing an entire year? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think that both guys are a little bit different, both in terms of the obvious stuff, like their size and their projected role. Uh, those are very different, but then also what last year looked like for both of them. So, you know, if you're just listening and you're kind of just getting acquainted with these guys, Rondale Moore, you know, as a true freshman, made 114 catches, just had one of the most sensational freshman seasons we've ever seen. And then I believe it was the fourth game of, of last season. He gets hurt and is and is lost for the season. And so, you know, looking at a guy like him, really, we don't have production since he was a true freshman, which was it's going to be several years ago now by the time the NFL draft rolls around. And so it it creates kind of an unprecedented. I mean, I I don't know that ever. I mean, there probably has been an instance in the past where there's been something similar to this, but probably not with a player who's going to be likely drafted in the round that you and I both believe he's going to be drafted in, which is, you know, day one, day two um, of the NFL draft. So just kind of an unprecedented scenario with him. You know, part of what I think about when I'm trying to forecast some of these players and I'm trying to get ahead of the narratives. So I'm starting to kind of try to think what could NFL front offices be saying uh, about a guy like this? And so, you know, one of the things with him being injured last year and him only being 5'9", 180 pounds, he's already going to be somewhat of an outlier from a size standpoint. And then you really don't have two years worth of production, but you have this massive freshman season. So it just it just kind of creates a little bit of chaos, I, I guess, or, or uncertainty at, at a minimum. Maybe chaos is too strong of a word, but it creates such a precarious situation that's sort of unprecedented and kind of like what you and I were saying earlier on uh, before the before the call started. I'll be curious to see what front offices feel comfortable with their scouting department. Like, were they starting to do work on a guy like Rondell Moore when they see him pop two years ago? Are they comfortable not seeing him live and not doing some of the things that they like to do purely from a, you know, fundamental scouting standpoint? So a lot of really interesting and intriguing storylines. Oh, absolutely. And Rodney Moore is just is such a weird case, right? Because of that injury, he only had 17 career games. I was so excited. I am a Boilermaker. I graduated from Purdue back in 2011. Love love the Boilermakers, even though they don't really uh, make things interesting for on the football side all the time. <laughs> but I was really hoping he was going to be there for more than 17 career games, right? But he still managed to have over 100 and what 110 yards from scrimmage per game over his career and had like 2200 all-purpose yards and that incredible freshman season. I mean, he he can bring it in the return game, he can bring it in the short stuff, he he can he can stretch you vertically. Physically, the guy was running a 43 something as a high school kid. Benches like ridiculous and, and I think squats over 600 pounds. So he's a weird athlete in general. So he's just going to be a a crazy projection. It's so funny just from a raw talent standpoint. Like if we think back to when Tavon Austin was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, he's that but better on on paper in in, an isolation. And really physically, if he is the same guy after that kind of hyperextension he struggled with last year, athletically speaking, he's going to kill it at the combine if we do have a normal kind of combine uh, next spring. So weird, isolated situation, but I could see him going top 10 NFL draft. I could see him dropping all, all the way down to, you know, pick 60 barely in in round two. So kind of a weird case, but at least with Rashad Bateman, we have two seasons, right? We've got a a year where, you know, not every true freshman breaks out with like a 27% dominator year one, but, but Rashad Bateman did that. And not only that, he actually really ate into Tyler Johnson's workload. We were all excited about Tyler Johnson for a while in, in NFL draft circles, but Rashad Bateman really exploded, taking on over a third of the offense last year by himself through the air with Minnesota. Now he sits out, a lot of people, he was getting first round buzz, but I, I still think he's a top 50 pick. Do you think he could, he's going to go top 50 or you think he could actually drop outside of that range in, in next year's NFL draft? I know you you like to take prop bets. So if, if the over under was set at, at uh, pick 50, where would you go? 
Mm, at 50, I might I might go over just very slightly, but I, I would also say that I'm just a little bit more cautious about him. And and part of that is is one of the reasons that you know you got into with Rondale Moore is we know that Rondale Moore ran a verified 43340, a 4.01 short shuttle, and he jumped almost 43 inches in the vertical. <laughs> so a special, special athlete. Yeah. And unfortunately, with a guy like Bateman, who's you know bigger bodied, a traditional, you know, outside wide receiver. I haven't been able to find any verified testing numbers on him at all. Um, And so that's something uh, for for the listeners. I I hope this doesn't hurt anyone as much as it hurts me to say it. But we look back to a guy like Kelvin Harmon a few years ago, who's the example of not really having testing numbers on a guy and, and seeing a guy who won as a traditional outside receiver then comes in and just lays an absolute dud from a testing standpoint see a precipitous drop in his draft capital. Now, I'm I'm definitely not insinuating that, that that's what we're going to see with Bateman, but I do think it's shrewd to consider that as a potential range of outcome for a guy like him. So what, one thing that I actually do like about him opting out, though, is that there's so much specialized NFL Combine testing right now where you can actually pay – you know, some of these guys where they just work with you on how to get out of your stance in the 40 and do other things like that. We've heard a lot of stories over 2014 was kind of the first year. I think it was like when Johnny Manziel was being trained and Mike Evans, they got uh, the, they, they had the same trainer and the, the guy got Mike Evans down to like four four seven, which to me isn't probably really representative of the runner that he is. But hey, he's got that on his sheet and it's solidified Uh, him getting the draft capital that he needed. So all of that to say, I think if a guy opts out and his family have the means to do something like that, and you can just work on how to get out of your stance, this could be a great thing for him. I actually was writing about Bateman for a a mailbag that I was doing for for Debbie Watch. I just wrote about him. But in general, I would say you never want to leave a 1,000-yard season out on the table which is what both Moore and Bateman just did. Both guys were essentially locks for a thousand yards. So Easy. you never want to not have that on your resume, but I get it for both of them. And and I could see both of them being pretty pandemic proof, you know, the more that I think about the scenarios. Yeah. I just think I, I don't see. Yeah. You, you mentioned Kelvin Hunnell. Let's hope not that that doesn't happen with, with Bateman. I, I think he's a, a def, definite different kind of special player uh, there, but it really with what, I mean, how many months they have six full months now to just train and just focus on prepping for the NFL combine, just focus on making sure that they are a professional athlete. I mean, a lot of these guys, I think back to even some of the Clemson guys who just kind of chose to, and even like JK Dobbins who kind of got injured during the playoffs a little bit, missed the combine. T Higgins was still not right. So he was like, I'm not even going to participate in the combine that kind of, I mean, they have like less than a month to really to, to get, Get ready for the, the most important job, inter, job interview of their entire life uh, that relies solely upon their physical ability. To, so to have a, a six-month cushion is unprecedented. So that that's going to be a good thing. I think both of them are going to do well. Rondell Moore is going to break our faces like with what he does. He's going to melt melt minds and everything. I think they're probably, as far as pandemic-proof prospects go, they're, they're up there. But a couple other names that came to mind right away, obviously at the same position, Jamar Chase out of LSU. I, I have to think he's probably going to opt out next I mean coming off of just about near perfection (laughs) in terms of a a wide receiver season that we could ever imagine you know having a a quarterback toss 60 touchdowns 20 of which he sends to Jamar Chase Uh, it's just ridiculous and one of the most ridiculous deep threats 80 something receptions over 20 yards per reception on that clip Uh, so I mean to to me he's already kind of locked in even if he just said nah I'm good He's probably a top 15 pick in next year's NFL draft already, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I would say the area where I may disagree with your first point was, in general, I think we've seen it like in the college football playoff. We haven't seen players opt out of the bowl games like we've seen in some of the smaller And so while LSU is obviously not in the college football playoff, and that's a different scenario now, they're certainly in contention for the playoff if we have one this year. So I'll be really curious to see the teams who are like the true blue bloods that have a shot to win a conference title or a national title. Like, will they go ahead and play? Like, is there a greater sense of pride? Is there a greater sense of, hey, we're all in this together? And 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 so I certainly wouldn't fault him for, for sitting out at all. But I just am kind of thinking, is it going to be more like what we see in the CFP in recent years where these guys are saying, no, I'm going to play and, and because I have greater aspirations? I mean, I think 
not to get too far off topic, but that's something that, you know, Dabo Swinney has gotten guys to buy in at Clemson. You're probably as well as any coach in college football. Yeah, and I think that definitely does change things. If, if you have those national championship aspirations to really just cement your legacy and a school's history and really just to, I mean, as a competitor, if, if you know that you're in position to do that, you want to strive for that. You you want to push for that. And so I think we're seeing that from a couple other big names who have already been asked that they're, they're like, nah, I'm in. I'm in this year. But I think I could see just because of the downgrade from Joe Burrow to Miles Brennan is probably going to be pretty steep. So I, I could see him justifying it by saying, look, I just don't want to hurt my stock at all. I'm going to opt out. Devontae Smith, another guy for a blue blood program, already proved himself, outproduced Jared Judy and Henry Ruggs in the same season, both of which just earned first round draft capital. He's already looking like he's going to be a first round pick, at least a top 40-ish kind of pick on, on the fringe there. A lot of wide receivers going in that 25 to 40 range in the past few seasons that we've seen in the NFL draft. He's safely inside there, if not above. Do you see somebody like him opting out and, and sitting out, even though that, you know, of, of course, Alabama's in it every single year? Yeah, I, I kind of lean more towards him where I, I wouldn't think he would opt out. I, I think just kind of a, a little bit of an aside with him would be uh, he's just so thin. I wonder if he did opt out and he kind of really worked just purely on a nutrition standpoint and just maybe put on some additional weight that may be a little bit harder for him to carry functionally when it comes to playing football and he could come into the combine a little bit heavier then I think he could kind of alleviate any potential concern about a low BMI or anything else like that. So I tend to think he will play, but I think with the season he had last year and we saw that the way that the NFL valued his teammates that, you know, both went so early in the draft that I think regardless if they play or not, he's he's pretty well cemented. I mean, unless he just comes in even lighter than what we expect he would be, which I think is <laughs> yeah. unlikely. And, you know, we also can hang our hat on Hollywood Brown came in and showed, hey, you can really kind of be whatever weight and uh, and, and still be drafted early. So, yeah, that's kind of where I stand with him. Yeah, and that mold's been kind of breaking in the past few years. We're seeing lighter and lighter guys break the mold. Like even like with uh, KJ Hamler is another good example. People were worried, oh, he's too short, too light. He's not. He's going to be a day three guy now. And that, we were surprised, but uh, the NFL said, nope, the dude's too electric. He runs like a forty in three and a half seconds, whatever. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll take him. Uh, but yeah, those were like the big four kind of wide receivers just looking at all the rankings that I felt like those are probably the most pandemic proof given the pedigree of their program and what they've already put on the field. Uh, you know, some other guys, maybe one or two more questions than those guys but at, at that position. But let's go to quarterback because I, I really think there's probably only two quarterbacks that are truly pandemic proof and maybe only one, honestly, just because of the sample size that Justin Fields is working with. But Trevor Lawrence, do you, you feel like just because of the national championship aspirations and Dabo Sweeney kind of pulling the strings, he's going to play no matter what? If, I get the vibe that he probably will, but do you feel like he would be opting out and is he truly pandemic proof? Like, Is he going to be first overall anyway? Yeah, to, to the latter point, I mean, yeah, I think he's going top three no matter whatever happens. So knowing that and having confidence in that, because that really hasn't been the case. I mean, you look back to kind of the out of nowhereness of even guys recently like Baker and Kyler and Burrow. I mean, none of those guys. Yeah. I mean, there was no X. Ex- we weren't certainly having conversations about any of those guys going one overall at this point, you know, in their respective final season. Yeah. So, and shout out to Kyler Murray for making you a bunch of money, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still... Still a big fan of Kyler for for a lot of reasons, but yeah, he's uh, he's near to my heart for for that. He's near to my my pocketbook as well. So, um, but yeah, I I think no matter what, he's going really he's going really early. And um, to to your point, even even jumping over to to Fields, and and I don't know if I, I said it, I I don't think Lawrence will probably opt out. I mean, it's a lot of money to risk, but I just think kind of like what I said earlier with, with Dabo, I, I think he's got them pretty well bought in and, and going to play. So we, we'll see. I mean, we obviously, there's so many layers that we don't know. And especially that I think everyone, I mean, we should be sensitive to these guys no matter what, cause it's their life to live. But I think beyond that, like hearing some of the guys say, I have a parent with a serious, you know, autoimmune disease oh, or other yeah. things like that. They're just, they're just so many things. Too important. Like, hey, you know? Yeah. yeah it's, and so, so I certainly I agree with your sentiment wholeheartedly. I mean, I'm for I'm for these guys doing what's best for them and their families. Beyond beyond that, because I don't have any knowledge about you know his his family tree. That's deeper <laughs> than than I'm willing to to venture. But um, 
going over to Fields, I don't really even think the one year is going to hurt him because it was last year and because recency bias. You always want to have your best year being the most recent year, you know, versus where Rondale, it's like you have to go back the year prior. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's set up pretty well just because he was so good last season. And even if it was a small sample, I mean, I think I just saw a metric the other day. He was the first 4,000-yard passer in the history of the Big Ten. I, I may – have totally screwed that up but <laughs> yeah I, I think I think he's I think he's a, a lock no matter what to be a top five top 10 pick but I think I think he'll play at least his comments earlier did you see that there was some trash talk going on between Ohio State and Michigan which is kind of fun to see it felt pretty <laughs> fallish so yeah uh, I think he's ready I think he's ready to play yeah, I think so too. And even dating back to like, I don't know if, if our listeners have all watched the the quarterback one on Netflix, a series like that, but he just seemed like a guy who's just the ultra ultra competitor, great high character guy that just is absolutely team first, that whatever needs to be done, I, he's going to do. He's not afraid of the challenge. I mean, even just dating back to his recruiting process, he wasn't afraid of the challenge. Like when he committed to Georgia, they had two other five-star quarterbacks there already. He was like, nah, I'm better than them. And, and it turn, turns out that he was. Couldn't actually unseat Jake Fromm because they, they, Georgia kept on winning. But but man, he he's the ultimate fierce competitor, and I think he can. He's just going to get better. I mean, he is working with a smaller sample size, and if he does play this year and he does, you know, win the Heisman this year, I think he could pass up Trevor Lawrence. He's probably the only player that could pass up Trevor Lawrence on, on next year's big board for any team. But that's probably another conversation for a future podcast, not this. But that was probably the end of my truly pandemic-proof prospects for both wide receivers and quarterbacks. I mean, it's a very short list. But before we dive into running backs and pandemic-proof players there and tight ends and then some players that we definitely are worried about if something happens this fall, just a word from our sponsors. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest betting site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code RotoViz or go to DealDash.fm slash RotoViz. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash RotoViz. All right, so Kyle, let's dive into some running backs and some pandemic-proof players, as we're calling them, see if there actually are any at the position. I think that there are a couple blue bloods and maybe one other guy that I thought of that you know they'd be fine opting out this year, and I'd completely understand it given the situation. The first name it has a great first name, by the way, Travis Etienne uh, out of Clemson. Not to spend all of our time on the podcast talking about Clemson players, but Tra- Travis Etienne has been one of the most impressive prospects I've ever seen. And when you break it down by the numbers, his yards after contact, his his break break tackle percentage, his first down percentage, everything about his game, his yards per attempt just straight up. Like if you, you put his numbers against anybody else's, it's one of the most impressive profiles, albeit a smaller sample because Clemson's always up by 40 points, that I've ever seen. To me, Travis Etienne is the most pandemic-proof player, and he should have already gone in this year and could have been the running back one in this draft class. But are you worried about him? Like, if he gets I mean, I, really with running backs, we're always worried about in, like being injured. Would you almost kind of prefer that he sits out this year? Not, not necessarily. He doesn't have anything left to prove. If he if he didn't have the, I think he ended up catching like thirty-seven balls last season. Where he, if memory serves, forgive me. I, I think it, he caught five his freshman year and 12 his sophomore year yeah and then much. <laughs> you know had that he had he actually had the quotes where last summer he had the quote that came out where he actually 
courageously answered a question and said, I'm paraphrasing, you know, I get scared when the ball is thrown to me. Like essentially the defender's up on me. It's different than when I'm carrying. I get a little bit nervous because, you know, he had a few drops and, and, the, and the, um, the, the journalist asked him about that. And that was his response. And that's scary. You know, in the modern game, it's scary when a guy comes out and says that, especially for us in fantasy. We're like, oh, man, that's I mean, he's a great runner, but can he catch? And then he comes out and has a 37 catch season. And so shows at a minimum, you can throw him screens and swings and treat him like Derrick Henry. And then you get him in space and he's an incredible player. He's so gone. <laughs> to me, he's 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 an, he's answered all the questions. Uh, you know, and, and all and all we really care about. I and mean, we obviously would prefer if a back goes in the first round to a, a great offense. But as long as the running backs go in rounds one to three, they can pay off a, a first round ADP and Debbie, no problem. Absolutely. And I think he's one of the safest bets. He's my running back one for next year. I honestly think, you know, we didn't see any any running back go inside the top 25. We barely saw a running back get drafted in the first round last year. I think we could go back to a class where we see a couple running backs go pretty early in Travis Etienne and perhaps another one of the guys we're going to get to here shortly, maybe even creeping up into the first half of the first round just because of how good they really are. But yeah, Travis Etienne actually accounted for, in a pretty high volume offense, he was able to still maintain over just over 10% of the team's receiving yards, which is just, that's solid when you're talking about having some great outside playmakers at the wide receiver position to pull a bunch of market share away from the backs. Uh, so he was able to really answer any questions there. I'm curious your thoughts on Chuba Hubbard, just because a lot of people, they, they want to put Najee Harris out of Alabama as the running back one or two, uh, not not so much always Chuba Hubbard, especially in real football circles versus college and, and uh, Debbie fantasy footballer circles. So what are your thoughts on, on Chuba Hubbard, not only just as a pandemic-proof player, but just as a prospect in general? Yeah, I mean, I think coming off the season that he had last year, it was a bit surprising that he ended up coming back. Um, you know, we've seen him since then kind of use his platform and his voice to try to create some change. And so definitely hats off to him for for using his platform and trying to see the betterment of his program and the state and and, and, and whatnot. I think somewhat, somewhat similar to how I felt about ETN a, a year ago, he just is such a talented runner and, and having that that track background is just such an advantage for him. I think he's actually probably been underutilized as a receiver. I actually think that's a huge asset of his that, you know, may not profile as much that way, but I think it's, it's reasonable to assume that he could be, you know, a, a bona fide asset to his team in that way. I would say that the, the only concern that I have about him is he's listed at six foot and 201 pounds. And I can be a bit of a stickler when it comes to running back evaluation when I see players hovering right around that weight, there just aren't a lot of instances of guys at 201 pounds being drafted in rounds one through three. We just don't have a whole lot of instances where that's been the case. I actually did a study just looking back at, at last year's um, top NFL fantasy producers, and I just picked out an arbitrary number. I, I took the top 27 scores in PPR formats, and I went back and I looked at their combine or pro day weights only three of them would have weighed 201 pounds or less, and all three of them went undrafted. So there wasn't a single player drafted that weighed 201 pounds or less that was essentially an RB2 or better last year in the NFL. And so I just think it's kind of right at that weight when we know that um, you know Christian McCaffrey was 202 if memory serves. So it was kind of right around that range, but I get a little bit nervous just because it kind of puts them in a historical bucket where I, I can feel a, a bit anxious about it. And and I think when I did early rankings, I had him ahead of Najee. But the more I've been thinking about it, I actually don't know that that's the way that I would go just because I think that that is a significant thing to me. And it's something that Harris obviously being, he'll be 230 or whatever. <laughs> me just is a monster. <laughs> a that, thick, yeah. There's not going to be any questions. You look at that guy and you say, oh, wait, he's not a defensive end. Okay, yeah, he's my bell cow running back. So I, I love Hubbard, but uh, I, I'm a little I'm a little apprehensive about the weight. Yeah, and I think that's a fair take. And that really stems from his track background. And when we say track background, we don't just mean, oh, he was a little fast guy on his high school track team in Canada. No, he was like competing with like the Canadian Olympic team to try to make the Olympics like he's that kind of straight line quick and so I, I think a lot of times with those guys it's hard for that body type and, and when they're training for that type of event to always and, and constantly have the the football weight on 
Whereas I think that if he is in an NFL weight room and he's no longer trying to make the Canadian Olympic sprinting team, he could easily add 10 pounds and be fine and still be a 4-4 guy instead of a, a 4-3-7 guy. Uh, and I, that's that's the kind of speed I believe he's probably going to put down on paper. At least he has the potential to do so, which is crazy, uh, but and it hasn't really been done by very many running backs. But when you have that legitimate track speed, he can do that. So that's that's intriguing to me. I have him as my running back too, behind Travis Etienne. And you mentioned the, the underutilization of him as a receiver. I I've been blown away when I dig into Oklahoma State as a program, just how little they throw the ball to the running back. Uh, it's just kind of weird. Like they had Justice Hill, who is a really good receiver out of the backfield, underutilized him as well. Um, so. I just don't think they really use the rece- their receiving backs as receiving backs at all. You know, they're running backs as receivers at all. So I think he's definitely underutilized there. We could see him pad his stats in that regard this season, especially if Tylen. I mean, Tylen Wallace is just now getting back to practice. So if they don't have their ace receiver, maybe he gets a little bit more market share in that direction as well. But Najee Harris, I think both because Chuba Hubbard is coming off its 2000 yard season. He's, he's safe. Travis Etienne safe. Najee Harris. He's that defensive end body type. Is he safe just because the Alabama bump and his pedigree and all that? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I just don't, I, I don't think you can look at him and have any questions about like, could he do it for me on all three downs? Could he be the guy, you know, just all the, even just the silly cavemen thinking of a lot of the NFL franchises, he just looks the part. And, and, and I know that's an oversimplification, <laughs> but I guarantee you that, that, me- that means something. And, yeah, and so it absolutely does. Um, to yeah. Tons of I, I think, <laughs> I think he's safe. And, and I think that even, even going back, if I could go back to your other point, you brought up such a good point about, about Hubbard and, and the track body and the track speed and stuff like that. And I think that's one of the things where if you're listening to this and you're relying more on analytics and that's where you're kind of basing the majority of your evaluation, it's good to find other people that are, watching film and i'm not even saying like breaking down the lateral toe position of film but good but just folks who really know know the game of football and they can tell you hey oklahoma state really just doesn't target the back a lot and that's not necessarily a knock against him you know in another example of this upcoming year we still don't know how good he is as a receiver but a guy like aj Dillon, you know it was just like no guy at boston college no receiver had really ever caught more than 10 balls like that's just kind of the way that that they they use their bell cow they don't throw to them and so nick chubb is another example and 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 you need to be able to discern between is this a lack of opportunity or is it a lack of aptitude and i think that's a key distinction that a you know analytic only skill set isn't going to provide in the same way that a more robust, you know, holistic, multifaceted approach to evaluation is going to be able to say, hey, this isn't a knock on him. He's actually a really, really talented receiver. So that's just, I guess, just a quick thought that I have when it comes to the blending of evaluations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's really important to understand how certain offensive coordinators and systems that aren't even in many cases really prototypical to what we see in the NFL, like how they really use the running back in the receiving game, because it just they might be spread out with four wide receivers. So the, they've got a, a reprogression that just does not have the running back even as an option unless it's a panic dump, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, just understanding where teams are coming from is key. I think, but really, I think to recap, we're looking at what? Like in terms of pandemic proof players, uh, we've got maybe Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith. I couldn't think of any other wide receivers. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields at quarterback. And then, uh, you know, Travis Etienne, Chuba Hubbard, and Najee Harris maybe at running back that, you know, if if there is a serious break off of the season or they choose to opt out, that they're really going to have that that safe, insulated draft capital already built in. But tight ends, I didn't just want to mention them because next year we have a trio of guys that could all go inside the first probably maybe, what, 40 picks of the NFL draft and Pat Firemuth. Uh, Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts, uh, even even uh, uh, Charlie Kohler out of uh, Iowa State could be a guy that uh, sees better draft capital uh, than we might think uh, because he's just an excellent wide receiving kind of tight end who can also block. Uh, so any of those guys, do you feel like if they chose to opt out, they would be kind of safe already? Tight end such a hard position to evaluate. You know, it's it's even hard to because so much of what we're doing in, in Debbie and in rookie drafts, you know, before the draft, 
we're just trying to understand and forecast how the NFL will value these guys. So it's not right. even as much like our opinions of players. So just thinking through the the potential, and I mentioned it earlier, the potential narrative surrounding a, a lot of these guys, I think they would all still be safe and safe being day two guys. Those all, all four guys that you mentioned seem like day two prospects to me, especially coming off of a, a really uh, a good top heavy class a couple of years ago to having a really disappointing tight end class this year. And with the way that the tight end position is still just such a key cog in what a lot of teams are doing in the NFL. I think all of those guys are are pretty safe in terms of they could they they could opt out and and still be fine in in my opinion. Yeah, I think I mean Farmuth has just been a touchdown machine for Penn State. Brevin Jordan was really Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts were in many ways the de facto wide receiver one for their offenses. You know, Kyle Pitts being at Florida, Brevin Jordan at Miami, and would probably be the wide receiver one slash tight end one again uh, this year. But I think that they've done enough that they're probably going to get that draft cut, at least day two draft capital, at least between those big three. But that's about it as far as like offensive skill players that I could think of. And listeners, if you have other names, you're like, no, pound the table for this guy. Find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. Yell at me. That's fine. But I want to get into some players that that I'm a little bit worried about if if something happens even more so than we've already seen with the schedules changing or the season just getting cut cut short or they choose to opt out because they're super confident in in their stock for whatever reason. Uh, And I want to start off at the very top with another Alabama wide receiver just because he's a name that a lot of people are talking about as even potentially being next year's wide receiver one uh, if he has a good year this year. And that's Jalen Waddell. Uh, you know, comes comes in as a monster recruit, but it's a, already a full wide receiver room with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and Devontae Smith ahead of him. He's a, a, a crazy efficient returner, one of the best return men college football has ever seen, but he just has not done it as a receiver in a huge sample size. He definitely needs, to me, a, a better kind of alpha productive season to really earn uh, that that draft capital. Because I feel like Rondell Moore's got a really tiny sample. Jalen Waddle has an even tinier sample within the scale of his offense. So are you concerned that Jalen Waddle's draft capital could st- like really drop off? Or is he just that crazy freak of an athlete that it won't matter? <laughs> This is funny, but I think there's no way the Raiders would let him uh, get out of round two, right? You know, they, they would they would have to they would have to grab him in round two if he if he was around. But I'm with you. I think he definitely needs it. I, I think based on even just seeing videos of him uh, racing rugs and stuff like that, he's going to run really really well. So I think that the combine is going to help a guy like him. But then there are going to be the the narratives could be, hey, this guy's always been a role player. He hasn't been able to kind of you know, break through in the same way that a lot of those guys have. And it's so funny you brought up Rondale Moore, too, because I've had such a unique relationship when I think about those two guys for so long that Nick Saban actually went after both of those guys super heavily to be his slot receiver. For me, they've always been sort of intermingled in this weird way. Yeah. And another thing that, that that I personally think, and and again, my opinion doesn't matter as much as how the NFL would ultimately value these guys, or even maybe how the collective Debbie market would, because that helps to shape their value. But I feel pretty confident saying if the roles were reversed and Waddle ended up at Purdue and Rondell Moore ended up at Alabama, their production profiles wouldn't look too dissimilar. Like, I think Waddle would have been capable of doing what Moore did as a true freshman at Purdue in that scheme. Now, there's no way to prove that, obviously. That's just an anecdotal opinion. And so, like, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. But for me, with context, the, the, the more properly applied context I can apply, I'll do it. And sometimes it does allow me or or require me, depending on which way you think about it, to make that that type of inference or leap. But I think it would do him really well to have a thousand yard season here, then come out and do really well in the combine. That that would be great for him. There's there's still no way he gets out. I, I actually wrote him up for last year's Debbie Watch and, and I just wrote, you know, this is obviously before I knew the pandemic situation we were in. I said I feel very confident that his ranges of outcomes are first round to third round. And that's kind of he I I can't see him getting into round four, regardless of kind of whatever, you know, no matter what happens, in in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, you know, you could just you could say, well, if he never broke out and he never did this, that or the other, that he could 
kind of too many NFL decision makers if he does run only like a 4-4-1 instead of a 4-2-7 or 4, you know, something crazy down there near the record. The, you know, is like 4-4-ish just over that, 4-4-2, whatever it is. You know, and it looks more like Darius Slayton because of his production profile. You know, he could get pegged as, okay, he's a guy we'll take a chance on. But I think he gets the Alabama bump. He gets the, you know, he has a few just ridiculous electric plays, uh, even on like a, an interception in the Tennessee game last year, like the way he chased down the defender from like the back mm-hmm. of the end zone down the sideline with Henry Ruggs. He and Henry Ruggs were flying by, it looked like everyone else was standing <laughs> still. Like he's got a few of those, those plays where he just exemplifies this unreal, inhumane level of speed. I think he's probably going to be safe anyway. So he he was almost in that safe category, but I'm just a little bit worried that somebody's going to be like, you, you basically, you were 15% of your team's offense. I don't care who it was. Yeah. You know, that's right. It. No, and, and and I think that's reasonable. I think that there will be some franchises that, that that's how they would absolutely look at them. I think that what, you know, even, even if it isn't as robust uh, a production profile, I think that just some of the things that evaluators would see on film and what I believe he will likely do at, at the combine would be enough to get him over the hump. But I agree with you. I wouldn't put him in the, in the pandemic proof category <laughs> either, but yeah. I still feel really confident, but those are kind of splitting hairs maybe a little bit. Yeah. Well, let's dive into some, some running backs uh, again, journey Brown, an interesting case because he's got like a five week sample of just ridiculous production uh one of the most efficient backs down the stretch in the entire country top 10 in many adjusted metrics but you know he was really never given the reins uh until late and and realistically uh that was only due to maybe perhaps some people not being 100 percent, and then it just kind of clicked so what happens if they kind of go back to some kind of committee with with noah kane and uh, whoever else they want to throw in the mix, or if there's just only two or three more games and then the season ends and all we have is this five-week sample last year, two weeks where he kind of did something this year. A lot of people have him up in the running back one conversation, honestly. Like if you talk to the right people, if he if something happens now, he's like a, a early day three back. Like there's just not enough out there. Uh, even if he does kill the combine, I feel like he's that guy that kills the combine and he's a round four or five guy anyway right now. But if he does have a killer season, Maybe he caps out as a round two guy, but I, he's not in the running back one conversation for me. Like, where are you first off with Journey Brown? But if something weird happens, does he just choose to stay? I don't know. I don't know exactly where where I have him ranked numerically. I think he's probably like the most likely range of outcome would be a a day two pick. But I think he would be hurt if we don't have this season because, like you said it was just such a small sample where he came on there at the end of the season. And, you know, as I was doing some college fantasy profiling for him, there were some really insightful quotes from his running back coach where he said, you know, at the beginning of this season, journey was a, was a track guy playing running back. Yeah. And then by the end of the season, he was a running back with track speed. And that was what was so intriguing to us. So I'm definitely okay. You know, as, as someone who's been willing to, I mean, an example of a guy like Josh Jacobs, who never had, uh, certainly doesn't, didn't have the athleticism of a guy like, uh, like, uh, we think we'll see with Brown, but didn't have a particularly, you know, stunning production profile. I'm okay making those leaps, but I just think with Brown, he needs this season. I really do think he, even if it is a little bit chopped up and they do, you know, split up the carries a little bit, if he can show some of the same things that he did, you know, down the stretch, I think that could really help get him into the day two conversation because yeah. teams are going to need running backs. And I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of guys that are coming up in the NFL. They're going to have to make some decisions. Do we pay guys or do we draft them for cheap? And so, yeah, I think I think he needs he needs a big season. I like him, but he's not a guy that I've necessarily pursued in drafts just because he's gotten a little bit expensive. It seems like in every draft there's a guy or two that are like, hey, that's my guy and I'm going <laughs> yeah. after him. And everywhere. And that's yeah, that's that's I get it. You know, I mean, a Penn State running back, pretty safe bet. You know, I mean, yeah, these I days. It, so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's pivot, pivot over to another. You know, you mentioned being concerned about weight. Uh, you you have to be concerned about Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis then. I mean, a guy who did catch over 50 receptions last year and, you know, ran for a 1,500 yards, over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. One of the most ridiculous playmakers in football that came out of nowhere. It was supposed to be Patrick Taylor Jr.'s backfield, and Kenneth Gainwell came, came in and just shut it down, took full ownership of it, and even really held at bay Antonio Gibson who just saw day two draft capital himself. So what do you think the NFL is going to think of a guy who may be soaking wet? He's 195. 
Yeah, I, I'm really concerned about him. I, I've been asked sometimes. I'm kind of asked point blank, like if you could, if you could advise me to avoid like one guy, Gainwell would be the guy relative to his ADP that I tend to tell people to avoid because he has two. He has the, the kind of the two, you know, mortal sins against him right now. And the first is that he's like you said, he's listed. I think maybe they put him up at 193 or 195 now. He certainly doesn't look it, um, you know, and he was at 183 last year, and this will be his third year in the program. So the fact that he's kind of only listed right there, and you and I know they can be a bit generous with adding on some extra pounds for guys. The, the second issue with that is he plays at a group of five school, and there just isn't a lot of instances of group of five guys being drafted day two. And, and that's ultimately what, what we're going to need from a guy like him. I think he's a really, really talented player. I think he's a great, you know, like you said, he he was a slot receiver at, at one point at Memphis and they yeah. transitioned him back to running back. And so I think to be at the stage of evolution that he is in a running back, he's an extremely talented player. I just think he has those two sort of things going against him that we never see guys, group of five, small group of five guys drafted in the area where he's being drafted in Debbie drafts right now. Unprecedented. I mean, since I've been since I've been in the community, that's not a long time, maybe three or four years now. There has never been a group of five player at running back that kind of has similarities to him in that regard that that people have really, really aggressively targeted. So for me, he's an easy pass there. And this could be really hurtful to some people listening. I just think you have to look at what's a realistic range of outcome for him. Naheem Hines, uh, similar similar type guy where he was a converted slot receiver and then he moved to running back and he could be a great third down back but realistically you're not going to look at that guy to carry the load for you and so are you willing to draft the guy at the end of round three or are you going to wait to the top of round four or five to go after a guy like that is he going to be more like a guy like Ito Smith is he going to be more like a guy like Philip Lindsay is he going to be like Justice Hill is he going to be like Tariq Cohen you know, these are all guys that they have a little bit of splash, a little bit of appeal. Some of them may even get drafted early enough to have at least one year worth of value in the NFL. But at the end of the day, those aren't guys that have a whole lot of staying power for a lot of reasons. So I really like the player. I think he's going to be a stud in college fantasy. I just think he has concerns for me. I've I've done well not missing on running backs because I've avoided guys like him that are fun. I think there's great leagues like Campus to Canton where you draft guys like him and you just pray, you know, like, Hey, I'm willing to take him early <laughs> and I hope that his weight gets there and so on and so forth. And then they can surprise you like Darrington Evans uh, would be an example of a guy last year. But, yeah. but let's think about, let's think about Darrington Evans value this time last year versus Kenneth Gainwell's now Way not different. on the radar versus premium pick. So yeah, Sorry, that was a, that was a long rant, but I I feel no. passionate about about that one. So absolutely, and I I love Kenneth Gainwell. He's so much fun, and and he was not going to be safe regardless. He was not going to be the pandemic proof player. But I just wanted to know where you were with him because of the weight concerns, and and I think for yeah. me that's the only concern. Like because even recently we have seen the NFL make exceptions with AAC running backs. You know because. Frankly, it's the Power Five, American Athletic Conference, and then the rest of the G5. Really, if you look at the records, like the the, the recruiting, everything, uh, it's 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 just they're almost like it's like a Power Six these days. So I, I, we've seen that even with Daryl Henderson, we've seen that with now with Antonio Gibson from the same program in the last two seasons. I, I think I'm less concerned about the G5 thing, but I am definitely concerned about the weight. If he does show that he is just a prolific receiver again, puts up the same per game numbers in whatever sample size we have this year, I think that's incredibly important for him. He has to prove that he is special in every single way to get that day two capital. So otherwise, we could be looking at another guy who is immensely productive, a lot of fun, like Justice Hill, like that just barely misses day two draft capital. And even so, I think that you have some people that were reaching for him because of that all-purpose ability, but I think a lot of people are concerned as well. Another name I'm at least interested in, I won't rant about him, but Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State was like an all-American freshman, and now he's faced with the situation where the Pac-12 entirely could miss this year. But really, when he's healthy, and he was hobbled kind of for most of last year, you know, had to give up a lot of touches to, our, I guess it was Artavis Pierce, or uh, I think at the time. So if he ever gets healthy, though, he could reassert himself as perhaps one of the best Pac-12 backs and maybe one of the best backs in the country. Are you high on Jamar at all? I am. I really like him. He, he's a guy that I've taken in a few drafts, and 
I would much rather take a shot on a guy like him versus Gainwell in drafts, and he's he's cheaper. So, yeah, I really like Jefferson. I think he – I don't think he's a lock for day two by any yeah, means. I think he either. really needs this year. But I think he would be in line, you know, both understanding the the offensive coordinator there at, at Oregon State. Like, he'll feed him this year. You know, he could have oh, another 1,000-yard yeah. season, and he can catch well. He's big enough. So I think that there's a lot of things to like about him. So, yeah, he, he needs this season badly. But I'm with you. I like Jefferson a lot. Other wide receivers, I was trying to go down the list of guys who need extra help this year. Like Tutu Atwell for Louisville needs another big year. Sage Surratt needs another big year probably because both those guys had really great explosive years. I was actually high on on both of them really early. I, I even like Sage Surratt you know, b- before last year, just a Harvard smart guy, basketball player, monster athlete, and, and turned out to be uh, the wide receiver one by far for Wake Forest. But guys like that, I mean, redshirt, what is he, redshirt sophomore this year? Uh, I, I don't even know what the math is right now. The same thing for Tutu Atwell. They both need another productive year. They're no, not safe in any way, but both could be day two draft picks. Just just eyeballing it right now. Tutu needs to add some weight probably, but we've seen recent guys that were skinny get drafted like we already mentioned. Are you high on either one of those guys and their opportunities uh, to make it in the NFL? Yeah, I would say probably Surratt more, more than Atwell just because I think Atwell just – He's really small, and that's yeah. still an area where I'm I'm more forgiving there, just because there's precedent, you know. And, and and that's the thing. Again, going back to the weight thing, this isn't even as much my opinion. This is just like like I said, the the data is the data. If you're if you're less than you know 205 pounds, sorry to go back to to, to running back, you know, you're just it's unlikely you're going to be drafted in a slot, which makes you which makes you relevant. And so, mm-hmm. kind of shifting gears over to receiver. There just are more. There's more versatility. There's more roles. There's more alignments. You know. There's more positions. There's more wide receiver positions than there are running backs. So you can have a little bit more versatility. And I think especially right now in kind of the arms race that we're seeing in the um, what is it the AFC West, the real fun division of the Chiefs division and 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 like that. So I I think you could see a guy like him. You know. You just you look at the draft this year. Speed. You could see. I could see a guy like Atwell. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. hey. This, this this guy's gonna run past you and and so I need I, I need to see another really big year for him and I think I think Surratt is I'm more confident about his abilities but both super fun guys definitely guys that you want to have in your campus the Canton league formats if you play that where you're gonna get a lot of production and you'll probably get a relevant fantasy asset as well or at least you may well I'm glad to hear that because I think that uh, both of those wide receivers I have super high on ownership percentages on so that's yeah. great <laughs> but let's round it out with a, a few more concerned uh, quarterbacks uh, that, that really need bigger years and, and can't just probably sit on their current resume if they want to see a, a greater ceiling you mentioned Trey Lance the dude tossed 28 touchdowns to zero interceptions and had over a thousand yards on the ground but it was in the FCS you know playing for North Dakota State so a lot of people we're talking about him being in the conversation up there with with Lawrence with Fields but I, I mean I, I obviously NFL playmakers NFL decision makers rather probably need a little bit more from an FCS guy don't you think yeah absolutely I think that's you can be forgiven if you're at Ohio State and you have one year worth of production but I just can't see it um, I was asked about Lance earlier this year and, uh, and I wrote a little bit about him. And, and at this point, this was kind of before some of the NFL draft media guys were kind of opining on the next cycle of guys. It was still this. I think this actually was maybe before the, this last NFL draft. But I just didn't know that the NFL would be all that on him. But sort of to my surprise, it seems like he does have a lot of buzz behind him, you know, to some of the guys that that have big platforms and some of the guys who have a track record of success. So he is on their radar, but I think there are enough teams that kind of have the Bill Parcells school of thought, even if it's not a, a modified Parcells, you know, strategy where they're like, hey, I at least want to see a couple years of production from a guy. And if a guy's playing with clearly the most talented team, you know, at, at a lower level, sure, he was nearly perfect. But even when you get into the film a little bit, you know, there were quite a few turnover worthy throws and other things like that. I'm not trying to knock the guy at all. I think he's a great dual threat quarterback and could be really good, but I think he desperately needs another year. And, and I would say, I would say it would be even rare. I mean, even a guy like Carson Wentz, I mean, I think he was there five years and this would mean that this was, this would mean he leaves after two years with only playing one. So pretty rare for an FCS guy. 
Yeah, I think it'd be really tough. I think, I mean, I, I could see him even before we had this pandemic. It was think I was thinking, you know what? He probably has another year and he might stay another year anyway, just to avoid the Lawrence Fields combo and just put his name in the hat with perhaps a weaker quarterback group and try to get that number one overall slot if he just builds and builds and builds on his profile. But three other guys you mentioned that are all in the NFL conversation, Jamie Newman with Georgia, Mac Jones, Alabama, and Miles Brennan with LSU. All SEC schools, all big blue bloods, all in situations where they could be competing for a national championship this year if the cards fell right. Jamie Newman, though, has a he's got a hot seat. With JT Daniels now getting out immediate eligibility, and if if something happens, he sits out or whatever whatever happens. Even if he came back next year, he'd be competing with JT Daniels and a really impressive Brock Vandegrift, uh, like five star quarterback. So really tough situation for him. There's no way he can opt out. But what happens if there's, if there's a short season? Because he had a great you know, kind of adjusted deep numbers outside the numbers for Wake Forest. But it was a really weird, reedy offense. Like he'd hold the ball in in the running back's belly for like 15 minutes, it felt like, and then pull it out and smoke somebody, you know, 25 yards downfield. What do you make of Jamie Jamie Newman? Yeah, I I love Newman. I'm a big time fan of his. But I think, again, just to apply the proper context, I know you've done a lot of work recently surrounding uh, recruiting. And so I actually just kind of dug in dug in recently on him and I looked at uh, Wake Forest's three recruiting classes since he would have been in school there and they ranked 14th, 13th and 12th in the ACC and Yikes. that's a 14-team conference. <laughs> so right. you're you're, you're uh. talking about a program that ranked, I, I believe their three-year average was 68th nationally and there would be roughly that many Power 5 teams, probably a little bit more than that in terms of Power 5 teams. I don't have the numbers offhand, but so you're, you're looking at a guy that, yes, there are talented players surrounding him, but this isn't a talent-rich program, and he's playing in the ACC where he's often not only shorthanded, but then again, you mentioned the offense where he's asked to do things that I've really never, ever seen another quarterback asked to do in terms of the the long mesh point that they do and other things like that. So I like to tell people, if you think about the struggles that Deshaun Watson has had in terms of since he's been in the NFL, in terms of what he's had to shoulder to carry his yeah. team, I liken that in many ways to what Newman has dealt with. It's a little bit different, but I think it's important to apply that context with him of just understanding here now he's going to be at Georgia where their worst recruiting year is second in the country uh, in, in a three-year average, maybe third in the country. But but I mean, they're they averaged the second best uh, recruiting class in the nation over the past three years. So now here he is going to be amongst other NFL players and having an opportunity to kind of lead from the front. So this is a huge, huge year for him. I feel confident that he's going to be able to hold on to the job. I just think he desperately needs this season. If, if they don't play the season, I still think he'd go to the NFL. And I just think he'd he'd be probably a day two pick then, which probably renders him obsolete. Uh, from a fantasy standpoint, but he could make a living and, and do it that way. So as a big fan of his, I'm really, really hoping that he gets a chance to show his stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think that that quarterback room is really set up well for years to come. It is. And, and I know nit- people nitpick his ball placement uh, and really like his actual on target percentage, but he was making some kind of off platform throws in many cases, just because of what well, the scheme asked him to do. So it's just by yeah, the very nature, it's going to be difficult. And he's taken, I mean, he's taken a pounding just just by the way that they run him. You know, yeah. I mean, even even when he's not carrying the ball, and he carried it almost 200 times as a quarterback, even when he's not carrying it, he's getting smashed by a DN just because he's having to hold it for so long. So, And we kind of saw that down the stretch. He lost his two best receivers. He had a hurt shoulder. Yeah. He's having to deal with all of this, and he's a competitor. And, and the other thing that I think that, and you know this from your charting and stuff, I mean, this guy just chucks it deep. I mean, so his... <laughs> his is <laughs> not his numbers his numbers aren't going to be as polished because i mean he's just he's just throwing go balls yeah. and and so not that he won't not do that at georgia i just think he's going to be a lot better protected he's going to have better personnel around him and he's not going to be asked to be hit on every play they're actually going to try to avoid getting him hit sure well what are your concerns on mac jones i know he did pretty well down the stretch for alabama in in Tugavello's absence uh, but, I mean, obviously, they've got Bryce Young there, a yep. five-star stud, you know, one of the best quarterback prospects 24-7 has ever ever rated. He's not going to sit on the bench for two seasons. So, Mac, Mac Jones better do something now. Does he have an NFL future? 
Yeah, I think so. But I think you nailed it. I think you nailed what the conundrum is. And I think that his job was, I don't want to say saved, but certainly cushioned with this pandemic right now, because I think it was just going to be really challenging for Young to get in there and to to get after him in, in year one now with limited uh, limited practice time and everything that goes along with that. So I've kind of felt like he sort of is in an unprecedented scenario where I've kind of felt like there's three paths for him. The first is we play this season. He has a good year and he parlays it into being a, you know, round one to three NFL draft pick. I don't feel all that optimistic that round one is really in the cards, but he did impress me at times last season, in particular, just his poise and his ability to get punched in the mouth and then stand back up. Or I think the other two avenues would be he plays sort of well, but the staff says, hey, Mac, we're starting Bryce next year. Yeah. Then he could go to the NFL in that regard, or he could actually grad transfer out. He'd be desirable to about 120 other programs next season if he wanted <laughs> to come true. in and start for him, which, that again, that would be sort of unprecedented to see that, but it's but it's in the range of outcomes. Or the third, and what I hope doesn't happen, as I'm personally an Alabama fan, is that he comes out and he just doesn't perform, and he really relied on the two studs you know, at receiver last year, and then Bryce takes over the job mid-year, and he's a name we forget. So I lean more towards he's he's trending towards an, uh, an NFL uh, asset trajectory, but I think his ranges of outcomes are vast, and he really needs this season, in particular because because of the pandemic, he needs to capitalize on hey, I'm quarterback one and I need to show it right now. Sure. And then finally, Miles Brennan for LSU, replacing a player who just had the best quarterback season in in all of college football history and Joe Burrow throwing 60 touchdowns. Miles Brennan comes in. He's been there since 2017 or 2018. Like he's been there for, you know, well, yeah, 2017. This, this is like his last year. He's only got 70 pass attempts to his name. I think it's two passing touchdowns and three interceptions. It's not a great, uh, even small sample size with what we've seen in, in garbage time, but it's hard to project what would happen with him. But if he's in a situation where he's got one or two of the best wide receivers in the country, perhaps the best offensive scheme or second best offensive scheme in the country, can he prove himself uh, and, and become an NFL quarterback. I, I like Brendan. I actually, I got to evaluate him. I, I covered the SEC West for Debbie Watch when we do our Debbie profiles every year. And so I got to go back and kind of read a lot on Brendan. It was honestly a lot more reading than it was watching because I just don't think watching high school highlight films of a quarterback. I mean, yeah, I still watch them, but I'm not getting a ton of uh, revelatory information from from that. But the staff really likes him. Um, the players really like him. And, and and he showed tools like both at camps and, and what he did. So I'm actually optimistic about him because I really don't think he's going to be pushed. And, and I think that's one of the things where Coach Orgeron's a little bit different than a guy like Nick Saban where Orgeron's really old school. Like if, you, if you're a senior, if you have seniority, he's going to do everything in his power to start you. Uh, and I think that that can be seen. This may be a relevant example when – they decide to go with Nick Brosette versus Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, yeah. I don't think anyone's going to necessarily want to debate who's the better prospect or player between the two guys. But the reality is, in an old-school guy like Orgeron, if you're a weight room warrior, if you're a leader, if you do the right things, you're going to have the opportunity to sit. And that's how it was for your dad and my dad and probably a lot of the people's dads that were listening. <laughs> it's that old-school football mentality, yeah. drinking pickle juice and uh, you know <laughs> not drinking water. You know, you're doing all of that stuff. And so I think that it speaks volumes about Brennan, both in terms of the type of coach Orgeron is in terms of being loyal, that they didn't even sniff a grad transfer. You know, that was obviously a super desirable spot. And they didn't even maybe they just kept it totally hush hush. But Jamie Newman would have been the candidate to, to go there, for for example, or a lot of other quarterbacks. There would have probably been 125 other quarterbacks that would have said, hey, sign me up for that. So I'm optimistic about him again, kind of similar to Jones, although he doesn't have someone breathing down his neck, but I I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about him. I I'm, I'm a little bit excited uh, to see what he's got, but uh, we'll see what losing Jefferson is like and, and losing just all the NFL talent that they lost. I think it's going to be a, a tougher road for them this year if they play than last year for sure. Absolutely. And that's probably all the time we have on today's episode. Uh, I mean, we could really dive into how this affects even the 2022 NFL draft class that was already looking weak. I think there are tons of players that are concerned there. If you, if you have questions for me or Kyle on, on any 2022 eligible players, feel free to come and find us on Twitter. Again, I'm Travis May at FF underscore Travis M on Twitter. You can find Kyle at, F, at Franchise KF. 
on Twitter. Uh, tell uh, the listeners where else they can find what you are doing these days. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the uh, of the show, um, you can find uh, a, a lot of work that I do, you know, both on Debbie prospects and as well as just college football in, in general and uh, college fantasy. Uh, a lot of the same things that you're passionate about and that you cover uh, in, in this show as well. So all of that on DebbieWatch.com. Uh, you can check that out if you're interested. So I, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's always a blast coming on and 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 talking with you. Yeah, this has been this has been great, and I love your insight. I always appreciate your take on prospects. You know, you and I did some work even on the uh, Dynasty Command Center guides, uh, rookie guides, and that's always just you know the ranking summits for that is always fun. Just you know slamming the table for our guys, and I, I'll never forget how passionately you were you were on Josh Jacobs. You know, way before. <laughs> like uh, anybody it was with him being the running back one overall. So always appreciate your take. Uh, Keep it fresh every single time. But everybody who's listening, I I just want to say again, thank you so much. It's been a blast. Even through just seven episodes, apparently this podcast has been received pretty well. Uh, Just appreciate all you guys, the the encouragement. Please do turn those encouraging words into uh, (laughs) ratings and and reviews uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps new shows out a lot. Uh, So feel free to drop any questions as well that you have into your review and we'll get that on the show but i look forward to you joining me soon for many more episodes on the college to canton podcast and one more note before you go i get asked all the time about how you can save on a rotoviz subscription well, the good news is that Rotoviz radio listeners can receive 10% off a one-year Rotoviz subscription by applying the discount code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's the numbers 2020 and then letters R V as in Victor Radio at checkout.